song this morning. All the 
deserves all of our praise and all of our glory. Can you look at your neighbor and just say, God is good? Okay. God is good. Caught you off guard there, didn't I?
as we continue, please, this morning. This is a song that we know very, very well. And when you know a song well, you're able to be more free and just worshiping and allowing your heart, your eyes, your hands, everything that you are, freedom to worship God. And that is an exciting event. Worship. 
deserves our praise and our glory. We want less of us and more of him. We want to be hungry for him. That should be our prayer. God, make us hungry for you. Because we know that only he can satisfy.
Thank you so much for your good singing today. It's so good to see you in the Lord's house. This has been a wonderful uh, morning up here on the hill already today. And uh, we're so happy that you're here to share this time with us. Uh, please reach in the book rack right there near you, in front of you probably, and see if you can find one of those little black folders. And uh, when you locate one, just if you'd be so kind to put your name on it and hand it to somebody sitting near you, uh, we'll appreciate that a lot this morning. Uh, Jeff and Arlene are, are Berg are here in our service this morning. They're back, I think, in a Sunday school class right now. But uh, after the service, uh, kind of seek them out, uh, shake their hand, welcome them. It's always good to hear from them. Uh, they had a really uh, nice little story they told us in the first service uh, about uh, Dr. Kaplan. Uh, many of you remember the Sunday that Dr. Kaplan was here in our service, uh, how that uh, he said something, he met them, they met him over in uh, Squirrel Hill somewhere and had a great kind of a spiritual interaction with him. And uh, I don't know how old Dr. Kaplan is. I don't think he'd mind me bringing up the subject at all either. But uh, he's at least 95 years old and, and uh, he's really smart, sharp guy. Uh, but uh, he's talking about Jesus. And so uh, we're really excited that, uh, that he has uh, been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, it's a result of uh, not only, you know, the Christians that have gone to his uh, doctor's practice for years, have witnessed to him and witnessed to him and witnessed to him, and now we feel for sure that God has opened his heart and uh, blessed him with the gift of salvation. So the, the Bergs are real happy about that. Please meet them after the service. Seek them out and uh, just uh, welcome them to the church. Next Sunday, we uh, unveil our, our birthday gift to Jesus uh, list that we have. And uh, when we do this, uh, on that list, we have Aaron and Amanda Dalfit. We have Dave and Jessica Dalfit. Uh, they're two young couples that are starting churches here in Pennsylvania, one in Masontown and one in Dunbar, Pennsylvania. Let me, uh, let me give you a quiz this morning. How many people here know where Mason Town is? Would you raise your hand if you know where that is? Not too many geographically. What's a geographically challenged group? Uh, now listen, I, I just barely learned where it was myself. Mason Town. How many people know where Dunbar, Pennsylvania is? Raise your hand. Oh, more people know that. So it's more famous. These two young boys, brothers, were called to the ministry. And, uh, and now they're in these little spots out here, not too far from us, and they're building a church. And so we put them on our Christmas list so that we could encourage them. Thank God for them. They went back to these little towns and just said, listen, God is my helper. We're going to get a little building and we're going to gather some people around and we're going to teach them and preach to them and bring them to Christ. That's exactly what they're doing. And so next Sunday, we'll show you that big list that, uh, that you'll enjoy praying over for a long time because we have to pray that God will provide the, uh, the finances to meet all of those needs. Let's stand together this morning as our ushers come and we'll receive the morning offering together at this time. 
We thank you so much for your faithfulness. It's reflected in what you see on our, our little offering box every week in the courier. Thank you for that. And now it's time to thank the Lord because he's provided it for you. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for giving us the strength to go make a living for our family, to, uh, to generate money to feed the family. And now we've come up here on this hill to uh, return a portion of it to you. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
great day. Aren't you glad to be here today? Amen. Worshiping our great God. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Galatians chapter 4. Thank you, Mike. Galatians chapter 4. I'd like to talk this morning about the subject of being a child of God, the children of God. What a great title. Isn't that a great title to call yourself the child of God? And when we think of being a, being a child and that relationship between the Father and just what, what a great, great relationship that we have with our Father. Today, as we look through Galatians chapter 4, I'd like to encourage you with just a few insights from the passage that uh, hopefully will encourage you to more fully understand who you are in Christ. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. If you're using the, the Pew Bible there, it's on page 785. Galatians chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But then, indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. This morning, we'd like to just begin there in verse 1, and we'd like to just give you the first insight this morning is that we were once fearful slaves. We were once fearful slaves under the law. We were once fearful slaves to the world. Let's look at the text here. It says, now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at, a, at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the, appointed, uh, until the time appointed by the father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. The Apostle Paul here is writing to the church at Galatia. And, you know, when you're reading the Bible, it's exciting to know that these were actually real people that lived in a real time, and the Apostle Paul is addressing real issues that they had to deal with. So as he sends this letter to, to the church at Galatia, he's in the midst of teaching the believer about the freedom that they have in Jesus Christ. But as we look through that freedom that they have in Christ, I'm, I want, I'd like to just share with you a little bit today about what it reveals to 
to you and I about who we are. First, he talks about the heir. That as long as he is a child, he is really no different than a slave, even though he is master of all. Now, I want you to think about a child that is uh, heir to, uh, to a great riches. This is what Israel was, the nation of Israel. When uh, the, the whole history between Israel and God was that they were his people. They, he was the, they were the children of Israel. And so here's God having this special relationship with the children of Israel. They were an heir to the riches of, of God, but yet they are under the law. Uh, the Ten Commandments, the, and, and so on and so forth of the Old Testament. As you think about the Ten Commandments, you can think and you can say, well, I've not been able to live up to the law. And that's what the law was. It was a, it was a schoolmaster, if you will, to, to, to bring us to the point where we needed Jesus, to the point where we could understand that we needed a Savior, the Messiah. I want you to think with me today about a, a, a young boy that is born into a very rich family. His dad has a lot of wealth. And he is an heir to all the wealth of his father. But yet, when he's a child, he's really kind of like a slave, isn't he? And that's what the, the analogy that the Apostle Paul is teaching here. He says that that child, is, he, even though he's an heir, he's still kind of a slave because he has no more rights than a slave because he can't access the inheritance yet. He can't access. He doesn't have the privilege yet of being the heir. Uh, rightfully so. If uh, uh, somebody came in and their little boy went down into the nursery and uh, he's heir to, this, to the great riches, he doesn't have the right to write a check in the nursery, right? We don't pass the offering plate in the nursery. He has no, he has no right to the, to, the, to the heir, to the inheritance. Um, when a boy's fifth grade, he still doesn't have those rights. It's not until he becomes an adult that he has those rights. And that's what the law was. The law was to bring the people to the point where they could see their need for a Savior. And that's what Jesus was. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. This was the purpose of the law. Verse 3, even so when we were children we were under the elements of the world. Uh, One of the issues that Paul was addressing here was that some of the new believers... Uh, in Galatia, there was a lot of new believers, and some of them were, were going back under the law. There, there was a false teaching that was going around. It was uh, the Judaizers. They were saying that in order to, to really be close to God, you've got to be like us Jews, and you've got to follow all these rituals, and you have to do all these ceremonies. And the Apostle Paul is trying to combat that and trying to speak some truth into, into these people's lives. He says, even so, when we were children, we were under the, un, under the elements of the world. The word there for elements is really like, uh, like things in a line. It could be a line of soldiers. It could be a line of anything. But it be- became known as the line such as the ABCs. In other words, it was the very simple elementary principles of the world. And what were some of those elementary principles of the world? Well, the phrase elements of the world is an interesting phrase because it tells us that it was the very, very basic things like cause and effect. I like, if I do good, I will get a reward. If I do bad, I will, I will get a not-so-good reward. I will not get a reward at all. The ABCs are not bad, but it is God who is, who is telling him, and he's dealing with us on the terms of his grace. And it's all about him. So he was trying to speak some truth into the people so that they could understand. You know what? Before they knew Christ, they were under one thing, and now they've come to Christ, and they want to go back unto the slavement of the law. 
because they felt good. It was something that they could do that made them feel better about their spiritual walk because they could perform certain, certain ceremonies, certain rituals, observe certain, certain feasts. And he tells them here that, listen, the ABCs, don't go back. Even so, when we were children, we were under the elements of the world. This was the basic element. And it's, a, and it's really a works orientation. If I do better, God will bless me. If I don't, he won't bless me. And so he's going down this path, and he's saying that that's not necessarily the worst thing he's saying, but there, there's something greater, and it is grace. Do not go back and try and think that you can earn your way to God because he clarified that in his other letters, that you cannot earn your way to God. But he says, come back to grace. The second part, the second insight I'd like to share with you today is that we can count on God's timing. We can count on God's timing. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, I want you to think with me this morning about timing. We know that timing is important, don't we? Uh, For those of you that were watching baseball in October, right? We're all a little disappointed after this week. It was was a big letdown. But we know that uh, actually it was was an exciting ride the whole way. But we we, we wanted to keep going, didn't we, with our pirates. uh, But we know in timing in baseball, the timing of a swing certainly has (laughs) importance, right? And if you're off on the timing, you're going to miss that ball. Um, We know that the timing of a catch... We know in football, the timing of a throw, and I know that's a sore subject around here these days, right? But we know that the timing of a throw is crucial. We know that the timing of a catch, the timing of an interception, timing is crucial. Farmers know that timing is important. Farmers know that the right time to plant. They know that the time of harvest is important. And so we see here that the Scriptures tell us that God knew that timing was important. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So God had a plan, and that should be reassuring to you today to know that God had a plan to redeem us. His plan was to come and to redeem us. God sent, his, sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. From Genesis 3.15, God had made a promise that he would redeem us. And, uh, and, and oftentimes I thought, why didn't God just send Jesus a lot earlier? Why did we have to wait until just 2,000 years ago for Jesus to come? Why didn't he do that before Noah and the ark? Well, the Bible says when the fullness of time had come, when the time was right, and you look and you see all the events, and the events of, of history boiled down and brought, brought us to an interesting time. There was a, a time was called the is known today as the Pax Romana. It's, it's whenever the, the Roman Empire uh, had extended over most of the civilized earth at that time, and travel and commerce were were the best that it had ever been because the Romans had built a great road system, and it made made travel great. And that, you know what that helped? It helped for the next. Uh, for the next generation of the gospel to go forth. After, after Jesus came, died on the cross, the early church, they used those Roman roads, and we carried, they carried the gospel out, and it spread quickly. We have the Greek language. The, the Romans gave us the Greek language that was a trade language, if you will, under the Roman peace. 
this Greek language was uh, uh, like English is today. And so there, our, our New Testament was written in Greek. There was a common language for the, for the word to spread. It was at the right time when Jesus came. And Jesus, when Jesus came, basically God was saying, the time is right. The time is right. Now's the time. God's timing was perfect. And today I want to encourage you that we can continue to trust God's timing. As we look at the, the world events, sometimes we get a little nervous. We see the events in the Middle East. We see the different things that are always uh, chiming in on, on, on the next, next uh, world events that are happening. And, and we get a little nervous. But I want you to know that we can trust God's timing because He is still in control. Amen? Our God is still on the throne. He, hasn't, he does not sleep. He does not slumber. He is still in control. His timing was perfect to bring the redemption of man. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now, I want you to notice that He doesn't say that He was born of a man and a woman. He says He was born of a woman. He was born flesh, but not our flesh. He was born like us, but not in fallen flesh like we are. He was the perfect God-man, 100% God, 100% man. He was born of a virgin. So let's look at Matthew chapter 1, verses, uh, look at these verses here from Matthew chapter 1. Let's read it together. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated God with us. So God performs this miracle. And why did this miracle have to happen? Why did Jesus have to come in the form of a virgin birth? Because he was God. He could not sin. He was, not, he was without sin. Isaiah 59.2 says that our sin has separated us from God. And so when Jesus came to this earth, he was the only one who could pay the sacrifice for us because he was under the law, he was in human form, under the law, but yet he had the resources of heaven. He was perfect. The Bible talks about the perfect, spotless lamb. And that's what Jesus was, the spotless, sinless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Because Jesus is God, he has the power and the resources to redeem us. Because he is man, he has the right and the ability to redeem us. He came to purchase us out of that slave market from bondage to sin and, and the elements of this world. I want you to think about that. When Jesus came to redeem us, he said, I will take you. He saw us on the slave market and he said, I will take you out of that slave market. Come, I'm redeeming you. And when you think about the word redeemed, uh, Christ was sent to redeem those under the law. He redeemed us. He set, set us free by the payment of a price. Let's think about a coupon. You know, if you go down here and you, and you purchase something from Giant Eagle with a coupon, uh, you go home, you get your Sunday paper, and some of you love to clip those coupons. And, uh, and we go down there, and you have that coupon. If you look on the fine print, they say redeemable at, redeem, redeem value. And what happens is, you know, let's say it's a dollar off. And we're all excited because I get to go in and I get a, a dollar off my whatever it is that I'm buying down there, my carton of vegetables, all right? And I take my dollar and I, and I go and I hand in, hand in my, uh, 
my, my dollar coupon, and I walk out of there. I'm just so excited because I saved a dollar. I think I've got something for free, didn't I? But in the meantime, do you realize that somebody has to pay that? Whenever you hand that coupon in, John Eagle isn't just saying, well, you know, you can have that. Yeah, it was nice it was in the paper. We'll just, we'll just redeem them, and you can have that. Somebody's paying for that. The larger company who wanted you to go down and buy their frozen veggies, they are sending money to John Eagle whenever they hand in that coupon. And so that there's a redeemed value. There was something that had to be paid. And that, when Jesus came to, that, to the earth for us, his life, it was his life that had to be paid. For you and I, he was our substitute. And he said, step aside. I'm taking you out of that bondage. I'm taking you out of that slave market. And I will pay that price for you. Martin Luther wrote this. He said, God sent his only son into the world and laid on him the sin of all men. Be Peter the denier. Be David the adulterer. Be Paul the persecutor. Be the thief on the cross. Be the one who has committed sins of all men. You see, you pay fully and satisfy for them. So because he is our substitute, we can go free. Redeemed means set free because the price has been paid. We are to be thankful for our redemption. Um, Over here in Deuteronomy 15.15, let's read this out loud together. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. So I want you to think about your life. Here was the children of Israel. They, they came out of the land of Egypt, and the Bible tells us that God redeemed them. You and I have been redeemed. And yet, do we stop and do we remember it? Do we stop and are we thankful? Is this a part of our daily life? This would be a great, great verse to, to be thinking about for us, to, to put on your desk. Stop and remember that God has redeemed you. The third thing I'd like to share with you this morning is that not only did God redeem you, not only did he pay the price and make a legal transaction for you, but he has adopted you. God has adopted us through Jesus Christ. This is really, really revolutionary to me as I think about who Jesus is and who I am as an adopted son. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. God took us out of the slave market. We're no longer under the law. And he didn't just stop there by taking us out of the grip of the world. He has now taken us, he's redeemed us, and he says, not only that, but you are going to be my son. And I'm adopting you into my family, into the family of God. And when, we, when he does that, we, we become believers, we open up our heart to Christ, and we've accepted him into our life, and that is the beginning of our new life in Christ. But I want you to look at this. Um, today, we, we think of adoption and it's a very precious thing. When we think of a child who come from a needy background, I was talking to Kathy Price in between services, and she was telling me that she was adopted when she was a small child. And she told me that she lived in three or four orphanages as a small child. 
And to think of her mother that went over and, and, and was able to adopt them and raise her. What a, what a great thing. We think great of the parents. We think the great blessing of the child, that God would provide for that child. But I want, want us to think today about our adoption into the family of God. John 1.12 says this. Let's read that together. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. So God has given us the right to become the children of God. But think about adoption. We think of it in our day, we think of an innocent child. But in the Roman time, in the Roman culture, there was an idea that you could be adopted as an adult. Now, as an adult, you could be adopted. Now, when you, when you think about why would you become an adopted as an adult? Well, there was the passing on uh, of riches, there was a passing on of land, passing on of a legacy of the family name. But I, I can tell you this: that uh, that I have never been chosen by anybody to be adopted as a child, uh, as as an adult. You know, do you know anybody that has been adopted as an adult? As I, I think about this concept of being adopted as an adult, that I could come over and I could adopt somebody and. In, and take them into my family as an adult. The, the standing is totally different. As a matter of fact, if you look at the passage there, at the beginning he was talking about a child. And now in, in, in these verses he talks about, he says, because you are sons, that you might receive the adoption of sons. He moves the, the, the word, is no longer talking about a minor, but rather a son, like an adult status of a child. I am my parents' adult child to this day. When I was a child, I was their minor child. Now I am their adult child. I am their son. And this is what God has given us. He's given us this great position at his table. He's given us this great position in the family and rights to the inheritance. Uh, notice the change in the wording there. That, that, that shows that, wow, there is something important here. God has adopted us and, uh, as adult children. We're not under the law. We're not slaves under the law or slaves under sin, but rather we have this incredible freedom in Christ, and it's the freedom of a father and son relationship. God is the greatest father. He is the perfect father. Earthly fathers are far from perfect. Um, God has adopted us as adults, and we have this, this awesome father, and he knows who you are. He knows your name, he knows your strengths, he knows your weaknesses, and yet he chose to adopt you into his kingdom, into his family. Isn't that exciting? And when you think about that, I want you to think about the, how that we get down on ourselves. We start saying, well, I can't do this, and I'm no good, and, and all these things. And God, he says, you're my child. You're my child. You're my adult child. God is the greatest father. You know, God does not compare his children. He doesn't come and, and, and hold his children and, and look at each, each child from child to child and say, well, here's, over here's Ken and over here's Jim. Now, let's see, Ken, maybe you could be more like Jim. No. Who might it be more like? My father. I've been adopted by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, so I'm to be more like my father, not like those around me, not like the other people. 
I don't have to please anybody. I have to please him. He's my father. And it's this love relationship. You know, when, I, when, when our kids were little, I remember being around with the other parents, uh, same, same age, and as we started kindergarten together, and you hear all the different things that, that the different parents would say, and I remember hearing them compare. Well, you know, my, my son or daughter knows the ABCs. You know, and I was like, wow, that's pretty good. Uh, and then somebody else was like, well, my kid, they knew math since three, <laughs> you know. And it's like they, they just come up with all these things that, they, that their kid was so advanced. And I would come home from, uh, from some of those, and I'd say, I'd say to Rhonda, Rhonda, are kids all right? <laughs> I don't think they know the ABCs yet. And the other one knows how to work a calculator, you know. And it's like, wow, this is... Uh, this is, this is incredible. Is, are we okay? And, and then we find out later that they all kind of even out by the time they're 8, 9, 10 years old. Everything kind of levels out out there. But when, when they're little, we, we start comparing them. We say, oh, well, maybe, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. And God does not do that. He says that I have this relationship with him. And I am special because he's my dad. Now think about that. God says that you are special because he is your dad. He has adopted you. He's chosen you to be part of his family. And the next part of the verse says that, that God has sent forth the spirit of his son into, our, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. The word Abba is Aramaic, and it means Daddy. So they had the Greek language, and in the Greek language, you're probably just, there wasn't something that described that intimate level of, you know, there's Father, and then there's Daddy. And so... He says that you get to call God Daddy. Now, I want you to think about that, what that means. You get to call him Daddy. There are times that my children refer to me as Father, and then there are times that they refer to me as Daddy. Uh, when it's a very proper situation, they say, Father, you know, you know, Father, would you like me to do this for you? you know? But whenever they need $10 to go to the football game, they say, Daddy, or now that the, the gas tank needs filled. Daddy, could you help me? Okay? There, there are different times that we use a different intimacy level. And, and here's what the Scriptures is telling us, that we have the Spirit of, his, of the Son, the Spirit of Jesus in us. The Holy Spirit indwells us, and He cries out, Abba, Father, we get to call God Daddy. Now, for some of you, you say, I can look back in my life and I didn't have the greatest... Dad, I want you to know that, that uh, God is the greatest dad. And God is there. And when your dad wasn't there, or when your dad was gone, God has stepped in and he is there. And we have an eternal daddy. And as a matter of fact, as you are his child, look what you get to do. Uh, Hebrews 4.16. Uh, let's read this together. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I get to go into the throne room. My daddy is the king of the universe. And I get to go into the throne room where he is sitting in all his power and I get to boldly approach the throne because I am his son. Um, Romans Chapter 8, verses 15 and 17. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption 
by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. I love that. We are joint heirs with Christ. If, if, indeed, if, if indeed we suffer with Him, then we may also be glorified together. He's the perfect dad. We are totally loved and accepted by Christ. And I'm so thankful today for this because this tells me who I am in Christ. The last thing this morning, the last insight I'd like to share with you, let us live like heirs. Let us live like sons and daughters, not like children. Uh, Verse 8, But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not God's. But now, after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. So the Apostle Paul reminds them of their past. He said that they once lived without Christ. Uh, they, as a matter of fact, the, these folks that were coming uh, in Galatia, they were coming to Christ, they were coming out of out of a lot of superstition, a lot of idolatry, and they had found the true living God, and they found the grace of Christ on the cross, and they were beginning to become followers. But the Judaizers were teaching them, hey, if you want to be really close to God, come and follow us. Come and do all these extra outward conformities. And and the Apostle Paul was telling them here, don't go back to those elementary things. But now you have known God or rather are known by God. How is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? How is it that you want to go back? And he tells them, he tells them to change this, uh, their, their thinking and to be fixed on Christ. You observe days and months and seasons. These things would not change their life. These things would not earn them any more favor with God. They are to be followers of Christ. They were going back into bondage. They were but weak and beggarly elements. It's the same word again, the ABCs. It's like you don't have to keep going over, going back to these simple things. Come back and let's walk in the deeper walk of grace. Warren Wiersbe says this, One of the tragedies of legalism is that it gives the appearance of spiritual maturity when, in reality, it leads the believer back into a second childhood of Christian experience. Paul says that he fears that his labor is in vain. He worked hard to spread the gospel, and he does not want them to go back into a works orientation of salvation. Today, I'd like to encourage you to enjoy the Lord, to enjoy your adult position with Christ, your adult sonship, your adult daughtership uh, of being in that family of God. Uh, Psalm 37.4 says this, To delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. There is so much joy whenever we walk with the Lord, whenever we find this relationship. It's the relationship of the father to his child. And when you're a little child, you obey because of the rules. And and you're afraid because of the law, right? That's what the early part of the passage says. But when you become an adult, you're now motivated by love. And so we don't have a license to go out and just do whatever we want to do. 
we have a responsibility to, to walk in a, in a manner worthy of our calling. So God's called us to walk in the ways of the Lord. And as we do that, it is out of this relationship. It's not a, okay, if I do this. It is a, this relationship with an almighty God who died on the cross, who paid for your sin. And so do I obey today because I have this fear? Or do I obey today because I have this love? And I'd like to encourage you as I close today to think about this. Number one, are you a child of God? Have you been adopted yet into the King of Kings family, to the Lord of Lords? Have you accepted Him as your personal Savior? God says that you can do that. Today is the day. Behold, now is the time, the Scriptures tell us, the day of salvation. We are to call on Him and accept Him in as your personal Savior if you've not yet done that. Secondly, I'd like to ask you, are you walking, are you living like a slave or like a son, like a daughter? Are you living in bondage? Have you gone back into the bondage of, well, I, I think if I just am good enough, or am I enjoying this relationship? Am I tapping into the inheritance? I get to go before his throne. I get to know that he's my God. He's the provider of everything I have. And I can come and trust him. Or am I still just trying on my own? The Apostle Paul says, stop trying on your own and fall in love with this King of Kings. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. As we close in prayer this morning, if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Savior... You haven't been adopted into the family of God. I'd like to give you that opportunity today to come to Christ. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for your sin and he came back to life again. And he asked, all he asks of you is to open your heart, reach out by faith, accept him, become one of his followers. So if that's you today, you can, uh, you can pray a prayer quietly to the Lord. Dear Lord, I come before you and I, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done wrong things. I've offended a holy God. But you died on a cross to redeem me. You came back to life again to redeem me. And I invite you now into my life. Thank you for that sacrifice. Then I'd like to also encourage all of us to, to re, refocus our relationship with God. Come back to that heart relationship with the Father. For He loves you and is seeking you. Our Father and our God, I thank you so much for the wonderful picture we see in your word. That we have been adopted into the King of Kings family. To the family of the Most High. I thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you for all the characteristics that you have as our eternal Father. Thank you most of all, Lord, that we can come in and call you Daddy and have that close relationship with you. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. I'd like to invite you, if you'd like to come and kneel and spend some time in prayer, we invite you to do so today.